When I moved overseas, I had this feeling of caring. I don't want to be invisible or I can't be invisible. It was subconscious, but I see it now. I can't be invisible, so I must be seen. I wasn't really doing anything, moving and traveling overseas in order to be seen, but I was receiving a lot of attention. I was highly visible, sometimes too visible to the point as a Black woman where I would be solicited for prostitution, followed. It was, sometimes it was quite scary, potentially dangerous situations just being highly visible. I don't know what that was about. It wasn't like I was the only Black woman around, but just this feeling of being highly visible. And there was also this feeling of, okay, now that I am visible, finally, especially earlier on in my travel history, finally, I'm seen, right? So like, I'm chosen. But there's a difference between being chosen and choosing. Welcome to Flourish in the Foreign the award-winning podcast that celebrates, elevates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad while exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American woman with Trinidadian roots, a business strategist and consultant from Atlanta, living and thriving in Valencia, Spain. Hey everyone, welcome to Flourish in the Foreign. It's me, Christine, the host of this here podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I appreciate you. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. Welcome to Flourish in the Foreign. I think you're going to really like it here. Yeah. Let's get to these announcements, shall we? The first thing I want to mention is that December 18th is going to be the last day I take questions for the Ask Me Anything episode for this season. So if you have a question that you want to submit, you can either submit it through the link in the description of this episode, which will be like a voice note you can leave me. If you don't want to leave me a voice note, that's fine. (laughs) That's okay. You can email me your question. You can DM me your question on IG or TikTok or Facebook, what have you. Second item is that the last coffee chat for Buy Me a Coffee members will be December 30th at 9.30 or 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I will decide on a time closer to the date, but around that time. It's a great opportunity if you have ever wanted to chat with me and you haven't, it'd be a great time to come in and chat with me and all the other members of the Buy Me A Coffee membership. If you want to fellowship and build community with people that are already abroad or who are looking to go abroad, this would be a great opportunity for you to do so. I'm having these coffee chats every month. And this chat in particular at the end of the month, of course, I will chat about anything you want to chat about, but I really recommend that if you're looking to go abroad and you're not really sure where to start or you're just nervous, I recommend you to complete the Move Abroad with Intention Guide before the chat so that you have some really robust questions for me and everyone else. 
If you're already broad and perhaps you're struggling or you're not sure, I again suggest you to complete the Move Abroad with Intention guide before the chat because I just think that it will help you to get your feelings, your thoughts down on paper and organized so that we can have a robust discussion. Hopefully that'll be helpful to you. And if you're interested in building a business abroad, go ahead and grab the Build a Business Abroad guide. You can ask me some questions that you may have about that during our discussion, and I'll try to get to everyone's question. But again, this is only for the Buy Me a Coffee members. So if you're not a member, go ahead and join. The third item is that it is the holiday season. And if you're wondering how can you support your favorite podcast and your favorite podcaster, Flourish in the Foreign, and me. Okay, maybe I'm not your favorite, but I'm like in the top 10. Don't play with me. I know I'm in your top 10. You can support the podcast in a number of ways, okay? Um, the first way is to become a Buy Me A Coffee member. And there's three different tiers that you can join. The other way is to just do a one-time contribution via Buy Me A Coffee as well. And the third way is to purchase an item from the buy me a coffee wish list that I've created for the podcast. Y'all know that this is a solo indie podcast and it is a labor of love, but it is uh, laborious. <laughs> But it is laborious. It, it, it takes time to create this podcast and to bring the quality that I bring to y'all. That would be wonderful as well. And if you're interested in podcasting, you can see all the things that I need and would like to have to make a, this podcast go and give you an idea of what it takes to produce a podcast. You can also cash out the podcast at dollar sign flourish foreign. Some other ways to support the podcast is to, of course, leave a review on any platform that you're listening. And I want to do a special shout out to those of you that go out of your way to just share the podcast and leave sweet notes. I cry every time I read a sweet note. If it's a sweet note with a buy me a coffee contribution, I screenshot it and I cry. <laughs> if you're tagging the podcast in a Twitter thread, I screenshot it and I cry. If you send me a message on IG or Facebook or you're tagging the podcast in an IG comment or something, I screenshot it and I cry because it is a solo indie podcast. This podcast is a pleasure to produce for all of you, but it's, it's a lot of work and money. <laughs> it's a free podcast. It is a lot of work and it's a lot of money, but I feel very passionate about capturing the voices and stories of Black women. And I think it's very important for us to capture our own histories so that nobody else can bastardize those histories, okay? So it means a lot that you guys receive this work and that you resonate with the work. It means a lot to me that you appreciate it. And when you send me these nice notes or you tag the podcast and you're like, oh, I love this podcast, I cry. Yes, I do. <laughs> I cry every single time. And how about this? I'm not like a crier like that. I'm a Capricorn. Okay. Capricorn sun, Capricorn moon. 
but Scorpio rising, so I do got that water. But it just, it, it warms my heart. And that's a really important way to support the podcast. Other ways to support the podcast. How about this? If you're a journalist or you know of a journalist, tell them to review this podcast and publish it in their publication. That would be amazing. All right. That is all for the announcements. On to the next episode. Season 5, Episode 8. Today's episode features Enkem Chukamarija. Enkem is a writer, transformational program designer, artist, teacher, and energy cultivation practitioner. Her style of being in the world is intentional, compassionate, as well as passionate, idealistic, pleasure-centered, and wisdom-centered. I think you all will absolutely enjoy this episode, but I'll let Enkem tell you all about it. So my name is Nkem Chukumarija. I'm 29, currently turning 30 in a few months. And I live right now in Irvine, California. This is the family home. So I'm back at the home base. But I have been living abroad for six years. I was born and raised in New Jersey. And then when I was 12, the family moved to California. So we've been living here in California from then until now. But I still consider being in New Jersey part of a, a really strong part of my upbringing. And I don't know, there was something about the adventurous nature that I've always felt as a human being that I enjoyed while I was a child in New Jersey. Because I remember always going into the woods, adventuring and searching for different things, foraging and making things up in my mind. And you know, there was a fallen over tree in one of our backyards or side yards, one of the houses we lived in. And I was like, this is a horse. We need to ride the horse. So like all of these silly things that you do as kids. So that imaginative nature has always been a big part of me. And having three siblings, it's very easy to cultivate that even more because you have kids all around you. I was an only child. That was helpful. But then we moved to California. And I'm Nigerian. I'm Nigerian-American. So my dad started going back to Nigeria more often. And he was often living in Nigeria and coming back and traveling for work. So I guess seeing that, just that ability to pick up and travel or always having travel, talking about flights, talking about this on the agenda or in the house between my parents, it was always a topic of conversation while I was in high school, while I was grounded here in California at the time, like middle school, high school, all of that. I wasn't really traveling, but I was seeing it happen and still obviously had this very adventurous way of myself. And then, yeah, when I had the opportunity to leave, I did. And I went to New York for college, went to FIT, which is the Fashion Institute of Technology. And that was like, I think some part of me had been waiting to leave because thinking back, I'm surprised that like the way I was just like, all right, I'm ready to go. And then I left and it was like a clear, clean break for me to leave this place in California and go and start my new life. And then from there, the whole journey continues. I asked Enkem, what did she study at university? I also asked her if she had the interest and opportunity to study abroad. But my time at FIT was like, my heart always softens when I think about FIT and my time there because that felt like a true home for me. Not that my home here in Irvine didn't feel like a home. It was a home in a different way. Being really connected to my Nigerian roots through my parents, through our gatherings, our customs, all of these things, language, that's a kind of home, a very grounded and rooted kind of home. But I think I was searching for a home for my artistic self that I could cultivate here in Irvine 
by myself and through like extracurricular activities. But when I went to university, to this fashion school, this art school, essentially, it was just like artists and creativity all around me. So I was really flourishing in that place. And I just really felt at home. And then in junior year, I had the opportunity to study abroad. So I went and looked looked into what my school had to offer. And they had they had all these different places. One of them that most of the people in my program, which I studied fashion merchandising management, most of the people in my program went to Florence in Italy. And I was like, I'm not about to go to the same place and see these crusty people that I see every every day in my classes. Like, I want a new experience, something completely different. I just want to do something different. And there was an opportunity to go to Hong Kong. And I was like, that's it. That's the one. It just feels right. And then I actually got a scholarship to go there because the honors program that I was part of, they had started this, this scholarship program. And I applied and I was one of the people to get this really big scholarship that supported me a lot. Like it gave me the opportunity to travel while I was in Asia and not just pay for my tuition and room and board and the stuff that you need to like actually go overseas, but to travel and to have bigger experiences that would then lead me to wanting to create a life outside of the US like more permanently. So yeah, I studied in Hong Kong in 2014 and it was one of the best times of my life, honestly. I asked Enkem to describe to us her experience studying in Hong Kong. Thank you so much for asking this question because my brain immediately went, like I time traveled in my mind right now and I'm so happy to go back there. It's, it was a while ago, it was 2014, but I was there for five months. So it was for the spring semester. I studied international fashion marketing management, I think, whatever the equivalent was or the closest equivalent to my degree program at FIT, which was fashion merchandising management. It's all around fashion, business, marketing, merchandising, all of that stuff. And the cool thing about my experience, which I did not anticipate, I I didn't know what it would be like to study abroad. Like it was just something from that up until that point was like a dream or like if that could happen, that would be amazing. You know, you have those things in life that you're just like, oh my God, that would be so cool. And When I got there, I immediately met a cohort of other students from different parts of the world who were also in this exchange program. I didn't realize that it was an exchange program. I thought I was just choosing a place to go and going. But I guess there were some students who were from that university. It was Hong Kong Polytechnic University in Kowloon who went to FIT in exchange for the six of us from FIT who went to HKPU. And I ended up meeting the students from FIT who I did not know because they weren't part of the same program. There were a couple of fashion design students, product design, product management, and then me, and then I don't know. But we I met those people, and then I met a whole bunch of people from around the world who were doing the same thing, many of them who I'm still close with today. And so they became like my family during that time. And so there was an experience of having this very fun and enlivening engagement with the other foreign students just like me. And then there was like the local students, which was very different. I didn't spend a lot of time with local people that much, even though in my housing situation, I had a roommate. She was from Indiana, but then we shared a bathroom with these 
other set of students on the other side who were all from Hong Kong and they were local students, but we never talked to them. Never, ever in those five months talked to them. We never even saw them. It was like when we were in the bathroom, they would not come in. When they were in the bathroom, we would not go in. So we never talked to them, barely saw them, just complained about how dirty the bathroom was or how they were leaving their hair. You know, I was 20. We just talked smack and we just, whatever. And yeah, so there was a lot, there was a lot of interesting dynamics, right? Because yes, I was living overseas and all this stuff, but humans are humans at the end of the day. And you have to cultivate a healthy relationship with people no matter where you are or what culture it is. You just have to, right? If you want to have that in your own experience, you want to have a healthy dynamic, then you have to cultivate it. And I didn't do some of that in in those cases in like my living situation because it got a little dicey with my roommate too at some point. But I did do that outside of my living situation with some of the friends that I had and those relationships that I cultivated. Very quickly, And to the point that we all started the program that semester, we had, what was it, Lunar New Year, which happens like February or so. And somebody put in the Facebook group that was set up for us, for students, that we wanted to, they wanted to organize a trip somewhere. Let's meet in this mess hall so we can all organize a trip and see what's up. And I was like, okay, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Why not? And thank goodness I did that because those ended up being the people who I became very close with. And the trip that we had taken, that first trip, we went to the Philippines, 13 of us. And we just had a blast. We first went to Manila and then we went to Puerto Princesa and El Nido. Like you're just getting further and further off into these islands. It was just something that it was a, a, of a dream. The most beautiful beaches and waters and seas that I never thought that I would see, right? Like it was just in front of my eyes, like, oh my gosh, is this real? And taking these really cool excursions. And I don't even remember money being part of the exchange. I know it was because money is always part of the exchange, but I don't, re- that was not the foremost thing on my mind. And it could have been because of the scholarship that I got, or it could have been that memory does what memory does. And maybe I was stressing about money a little bit. I was a student and I wasn't working, right? So it could have been that I was stressing about money at the time, but in the memories that I have and all the pictures that I have and the way that we recall memories as a group together and like the group chat and stuff, we just think about the beautiful moments and yeah, there was drama. Yeah, there was this. Yeah, there was that. But altogether, it was really beautiful. It was a very cool and beautiful experience. I'm always so curious about the differences between cities and cultures. And so I asked Enkem if there were academic differences she noticed between studying in New York City and studying in Hong Kong. Yeah, I recognized the way that I felt the classes were being taught, even though it was still a fashion program, was still very logical very business-minded, very analytical, rather than creative or artistic, which is the contrast to what I felt was the vibe at FIT, even though there were still business classes. And I was taking a few more business-oriented classes or mathematics-oriented classes in Hong Kong, which I don't even know why I did that because it was harder and it was just so complicated. They had all these strange softwares on the computer that I felt like I was playing video games, but not fun video games like math games or trying to solve these problems, which would absolutely have zero impact on how I would actually be working in the field. Because I wasn't going to be working in Hong Kong at the end of the day. I was going to go back to New York and figure out my situation there. But I still had to be in these classes, right, because of the transfer credits or whatever. But it was cool to be in those spaces because it challenged me and my mind. And the university dynamic was very different. 
because it was a proper universe. Not that FIT is not a proper university, but it's different. It's very specialized. Whereas HKPU or other universities, they have so many different disciplines happening there. And being in some of these classes, I was in classes with people who are part of different disciplines as well, especially like the statistics classes or some of these more business-oriented classes. So that was different. But there was also this feeling with me being a study away student that once I figured out that my credits were being transferred and I wasn't going to be marked A, B, C, whatever, it was just going to be a T on my trans- my final transcript for graduation, I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to keep traveling. And so I would just do the required thing that I needed to do and then take off on a trip because that was the opportunity that I was presented with. I'm a really high achiever in general. And so I've always maintained really high marks in school. So it was kind of strange for me to make that decision. And I know it definitely burdened me a little bit. And my teachers were looking at me somehow when I would come back from a trip or I would send an email that I'm not going to be around or whatever. But I knew like on a larger scale, Kim, you're in Hong Kong. Kong of all places, right? You need to take advantage of this, even if it means that your teachers are not going to necessarily respect you as much in this moment. It's okay. You're in Hong Kong. So there's that aspect of it. And then being influenced fashion-wise, I don't know if I was so influenced fashion-wise. I think actually at that point in my whole journey as like a designer or a fashion girl, because I was obsessed with fashion from young up until, I guess, that point when I was a junior, when I started realizing oh, the whole world is not fashion. It's not fashion, 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 everything. Because the people who I was becoming close with, they were studying different disciplines. And I was like, there are other things in this life. There is this whole other world out here. So I think actually my perspective started to shift away from fashion as like the only thing into just other things, other creative ways. And just like it was broadening at that point. I asked Nkem to describe her life After studying abroad. After I came back that summer, I had gone to Frankfurt Oder, which is like the other Frankfurt, which people don't really typically go to or know of or whatever I mentioned. It's in Germany. Whenever I mentioned that to a German person, they're like, why? (laughs) But I was working at the writing studio at FIT at the time. That was another home for me because another whole part of my life, aside from travel and living abroad and doing all that stuff is that I am a writing teacher and a writing coach and a writer and that's my whole space. So I was working at the writing studio and I traveled with my supervisors to a conference in Frankfurt Oder at a university. I was a peer tutor since I was still an undergrad. During that time they had a peer tutor day and I met some people from different universities around the world who were also peer tutors in their writing centers. There was one lady who worked at NYU in New York University in Abu Dhabi and they had like a global academic fellows program where they had a writing center and they were trying to recruit writers essentially and so she was really enthusiastic about trying to recruit people to teach and to learn and to be part of this fellowship and I was like oh that sounds dope Abu Dhabi what's that but I'm still a junior I need to graduate I know that if I do this thing of not that I would maybe even be qualified for that since I hadn't graduated yet but still I was just thinking if I move abroad at this moment now without graduation without just finishing up this chapter, I am not going to finish up the chapter. I'm going to stay abroad. I know it. And also during those moments, one of the close friends that I made in Hong Kong, his girlfriend, she had taught English in Korea years before. And he told me about that. And I was like, interesting. So I had that in my mind as well. Okay, So I graduated and I was 
taking trips abroad. So the first real true solo trip that I took from, I had this intention to travel. I'm buying the ticket for myself. I invited a few friends. They said they couldn't come. I was like, okay, I'm going. It was to Jamaica and I went to Ocho Rios and Montego Bay and Negril. It was for like a week and it was one of the best trips ever because I had met three other people. They happened to be German <laughs> as well. And they they became really close friends to me and we're still very close now in this time. And they're like getting married and having babies and I'm making baby blankets for them and all this stuff. And it's really beautiful. So after that trip, meeting them and having my solo time, I was like, I want to come see you guys in Germany. They're like, oh yeah, Kim, come. And I'm like, don't say it because I'm about to buy a ticket right now. And they were like, no, come. I was like, Okay, I'm coming. So I decided to do like a Euro backpacking trip and I bought a backpack and everything. I was like, wow, I'm like a traveling person. And I went to Cologne to visit one of my friends. And then we took a road trip down to Munich where the other two lived together. And it was just such a cool experience. From there, I went to Italy because that was one of the things that I wanted to do. I had a solo trip in Italy for nine days by myself. And it was truly like a solo thing because during this Germany trip with my friends and all of that, something quite traumatic happened, like relationally with my friends, group of friends. It was just not a good situation for me emotionally, mentally, in terms of connecting with people. I was, I felt very ostracized during a part of that, um, the end of the Germany trip going into my Italy trip. And so I began to understand not only the fun sides of solo travel and how you could meet different people, which was the situation before this point, this very pivotal point. It was like, I'm traveling, I'm meeting different people, I'm learning different things through people, through culture. It was very active. But from this point on in Italy, it was very, very introspective. I spent a lot of time by myself in the hostel I stayed in. And I started journaling at that time, like really heavily journaling as my therapeutic way to be with myself because <laughs> did nobody else want to be with me? That's what I had felt at the time. So I was using that as my opportunity. So from there, yeah, I started working. Like I, it was like, I took a month before I started working when I accepted the full-time job that I took after college and did the traveling. And after that, I returned to New York and I was working for a few years in the fashion industry. And then I was very disappointed with my work because it was not the creative beautiful thing that I felt it was going to be just like my time at FIT. And I wanted to do something that was more engaging with people and more and helping people, not just doing random stuff with numbers and clothes and color codes and all this stuff that I just didn't feel connected to. I felt like I was wasting my time, honestly. And so then I started working in a, a nonprofit organization doing business development, which I did. I honestly didn't even know what business development meant. I just felt, okay, this is a nonprofit organization. This is going to be better. These people, their mission is to help. <laughs> their mission is to be with people. But business development is business development. It's about business. It's about money. It's about numbers. <laughs> and the pressure of, of being in that environment and having to sell campaigns and having to, it was bad and was another, honestly, this is not what this podcast is about, but it was another traumatic experience that working with the supervisor that I had, 
oh my gosh, it just took me out completely. So I was in a really low space. I think I fragmented in that moment. And that can happen sometimes when we're in traumatic experiences. We fragment, meaning we dissociate. Our mind goes into a different place. Our body is still here. We may be even having like bodily reactive symptoms or yeah, reactions to whatever is happening. But our mind is elsewhere. Our heart is elsewhere. I had that fragmentation for a little while, but ended up leaving that job after six months. It was a mutual, I quit, you're fired thing. (laughs) And then I was like, this is New York City. Rent is expensive. I need a job now because I got to pay rent (laughs) in the next month, which is not really the attitude that I want to live my life at all. But at the moment, that's what I had to do. So I went back into the fashion industry and I was a sales assistant for a lingerie company, actually based in Hong Kong, which was interesting. But a series of continuous unfolding, which is what life is, ended up being very, just not good for me. Just like really not good because the the manager that I had was, I don't know her situation, but it just felt like maybe she was kind of jealous. I'm mentioning all these things because the, this is the continuous theme that has played out even throughout me living abroad that I have seen in situations or jobs abroad. But all of this led me, all of these, it's not working out with the managers. It's not working out with the people. It's not working out with the job. It's not working out. It's not working out. It's not working out. It ended three months after I started that job at the lingerie company. It ended because I was fired at the three-month mark. It was dramatic and it was heavy and it was big and there were a lot of tears involved and a lot of what the heck, what am I going to do? What's going to happen? And I yeah, was like, I'm not staying in New York anymore. This is too much energy that's pulling me away from being here that I'm going to follow that energy and not be here. And I was thinking about teaching English abroad a little bit at that time, but I just was like, I'm working. What am I going to do? Leave my job. I guess God was like, yeah, you're about to leave your job. Watch out. (laughs) Get ready. So yeah, from that point, I moved back here to California so I could regroup because this is a big change. It's not just a small thing. Moving overseas is like you're changing your whole life essentially. And I didn't go, I didn't decide to teach overseas with the intention that I'm going to do it for a year and come back. I was like, I'm going open-ended. I'm just, I'm out. So I came back here to California and I regrouped myself and I had to do my TEFL certification. That's teaching English as foreign language certification. And yeah, then I did that whole application and everything and I moved to Korea. Initially, I was deciding between Japan and Korea and I was like, you can only really go to one. So choose one. And I chose Korea. So I decided to teach English overseas in South Korea. And for anyone who may be listening, who's thinking about doing something like that, I went with GOE instead of Epic, which I guess at the time, I don't know what it is now because this was in 2017. There was between like Epic and teaching private schools or GOE and GOE just seemed the most accessible because Epic just, I saw a lot of things about it being not a hundred percent that you would maybe get selected. And I was like, no, I need a hundred percent because I'm not trying to stay here. <laughs> so I went with GOE, which is the Gyeongsang Nam Office of Education. And that's more so in the Southern, Southeastern part of South Korea. So Enkem decides to move to Korea. I asked her to describe what it was like leaving the U.S. and arriving in Korea, not to visit, but to live and work. So the day I left the U.S., it was 2017, October, early October 2017, late September, early, yeah, probably late last day of September, something like that, because I needed to like, 
my contract started on the 1st of October, I think. And I was leaving from Los Angeles, Tom Bradley. My family was there and I was like, y'all don't need to be here. Like, I just really wanted to go. It was the same energy that I had when I went away for college to New York. It's like, this is extra. Y'all don't need to be standing at the escalator watching me ride up. I just felt like y'all could, somebody could have dropped me off. I could take an Uber. (laughs) That's actually the way I prefer it because... I'm such an independent person and always been that kind of person. Like if I'm doing something that that looks difficult or I need concentration, people are like, you can do it, Kev, go. I'm like, stop, you're distracting me. <laughs> so it felt like that for me was, I didn't feel heartfelt. I, oh, my family, no, I never felt like that. I always just felt really focused on, okay, I'm about to take this 12 hour or whatever, however long it was. I think I had a stopover somewhere in Beijing or something like that, 16 hours. I don't know, I'm about to take this long flight. I'm going to be in a different life. And that was really my focus. But I didn't know anything about specifics, right? I just knew what they told me, how I was going to get picked up. I don't have that fear or worry about how's it going to be on the other side? What's going to be the situation? What if I don't know? What about the language? The language is another part of it too, because I had done a little bit of studying, some Duolingo, some watching some YouTube videos, downloading some apps, and I learned how to read a little bit. But I was like, I'll figure it out. <laughs> and I did, because when you're in the situation is when you're really put to the test to figure it out. When I'm not in the situation, it's like, I don't really need this. So there's no impetus to actually use it. So the language thing worked itself out over time. But yeah, that was like that day of leaving. I just felt like I'm ready to go. I've been waiting for this my whole life, which I haven't. But maybe I haven't in some deeper way, but that was the feeling. I've been waiting for this my whole life. Here it is. I'm out of here. I got my ticket. I'm like ready to grip that ticket and point it and scan it and go just with that energy. I mean, it's there's there's a whole set of stories within that experience. But at this point, it was like, I released the whole past and was open to a new a new world of what it's like to be me in a place that's completely different. And there was a lot of peace that I felt in living in South Korea and teaching there because, specifically because I was so different. There was a lot of heartache and heartbreak sometimes, especially in the beginning when, you know, students didn't want to talk to me or they didn't want to look at me or they were scared of me or sometimes in different moments outside of the community that I had become a part of where people would just be scared of me or people would think I'm an object or be touching me, taking pictures, all of this stuff. So developing boundaries was a big one in that place. But eventually... Sticking it through and learning how to be yourself, how to how to be yourself in a way that you receive respect. It's not really about demanding respect or earning respect. I'm not to earn your respect for what? Earn your respect for being different. I was invited to come here and teach you. I'm not going to earn your respect, but you will respect me somehow, some way. So I leaned into my own ability and my own calling as a teacher, as someone who likes to connect with people heart to heart and to help people learn and to see the brightness in people's eyes when they are learning something. And that eventually helped for the students to be following me around on campus, holding on to me. and Oh, camp teacher, let me show you. Hold my hand. This is my friend. All of these things, which was beautiful, but it wasn't natural. Like it was something that came through time and through a lot of sitting with myself and waiting and understanding that it would happen when it was meant to happen. And so my contract was for a year. So I did the whole school year. There was a beautiful experience. And even while there, I was teaching young people 
in elementary school, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. That was my charge. And then during that time, I took another job from the GOE office to work with high schoolers in an additional program. They were doing like an English debate program. So they needed somebody to help these high school students learn how to articulate their ideas in English really well so that they can participate in this debate later on. So I took that job, which was great because I was like having something extra to do and it was so enriching. I mean, speaking to little kids all the time, I had like 500 students to teach a week, which was beautiful and great. I am a child myself. So being with kids and working with them just feels right at home for me playing games and doing all that stuff. But you want to have a deeper conversation at some point than just like, hi, how are you? I'm good. And you, how's your mom? Good. Even if we get that far, you know, I wanted something deeper. So to work with these other students, these older students who had more understanding of English, some of them, we could have really fluid conversations. Others, it was at the level of some of the students I was teaching in like fifth grade or fourth grade, which is fine. It's a different language completely. And it taught me a lot about language learning and how people assimilate to language and culture and the level of confidence that might be needed and how you develop confidence in speaking a language, where that comes from, all of that stuff. But still, I had this feeling like I want to have more rich, dynamic analytical potentially conversations with older students who I can actually converse with. It's I'm a teacher, yes, but I'm a teacher because I'm a student. I'm a learner. And so it's not just about me learning information and then disseminating information from there. It's about me engaging in the subject with the person who I'm teaching and learning from. And I was beginning to understand that dynamic in Korea, but I just, I couldn't articulate it in that way then. I just felt like, okay, it's time to shift on a little bit. So during all this process, I got back in touch with this woman who I met at that conference in Frankfurt Oder back in 2014 in Germany, uh, who was working at NYU Abu Dhabi at that Global Academic Fellows Program. And I reached out to her. I was like, hey, do you remember me? Because there was like a, a reception and all that kind of stuff at that time. And we had gotten along as like people, not just as potential colleagues. So we were drinking beers together, taking pictures, all that stuff. And so I was like, hey, do you remember me? Maybe this is a picture that we took together that I have. Hope you're well. This is what I'm doing in life right now. And I just want to share that with you and see what's up with you. And she was like, oh, actually, I'm leaving NYUAD as the writing center manager, and you would be the perfect person to take my position. So if you were willing to apply, then I'll, I'll share your application with the director of the writing program and all of that stuff. I was like, say less. Okay, say absolutely less. I'm doing it right now. So I spent a lot of my desk hours in Korea preparing my application and doing all that stuff because there's the teaching hours and then you have your desk warming time is what they call it. Your desk warming, just like sitting there on your ass warming your desk. <laughs> so I was doing a lot of blogging. I didn't mention that, but a lot of blogging and a lot of preparing my application and learning about linguistics because that became an interest at the time. And yeah, it took a while, like six months for that to go through, but I ended up receiving a job as a writing instructor at NYUAD. And it was either I was going to go to Abu Dhabi, uh, this new place, this new land that I had never really heard of before, or I was going to stay in Korea. Like I would have um, re-signed a contract for staying in Korea another year. I was having a great time. It was beautiful. I would have figured it out from there. That was the open-ended nature of it. Figure it out. As long as I have the basics, right? Like somewhere to live, somewhere to eat, a beautiful place to feel comfortable and 
something that engages my mind. I can find a way to engage my soul and all of the other stuff. The thing with working in Korea, though, is that I was like making $2,000 a month and I was spending it on travel. (laughs) I wasn't saving any money and I had deferred my student loans. So I didn't have debt in that way, but it was like pushed under the rug. So that would have been a situation I would have had to figure out had I stayed in Korea. But I did not. I went to Abu Dhabi and I started working at NYU Abu Dhabi as a writing instructor. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And if you have, please support this labor of love because it is labor nonetheless. You can support this solo indie podcast by becoming a member of the Flourish in the Foreign Buy Me a Coffee membership, where you can subscribe to support the podcast on a monthly basis. You can also give one-time support via Buy Me a Coffee as well. And you can do either one at buymeacoffee.com slash flourishforeign. Support this podcast by writing a review on whichever platform you listen to the podcast. And if you listen on Spotify, you can also leave comments on each episode and even answer some of the poll questions I've created for certain episodes. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends and family and even the colleagues you kind of like. This podcast continues to exist and thrive due to listeners like you. Thank you so much for your continued support. Now, back to the episode. So, and Kem finds herself moving to Abu Dhabi for work. And so I asked her to describe her time in Abu Dhabi. The first year was very interesting. I think fascinating is truly the word. First of all, uh, the UAE is hot. And I arrived in August. I actually arrived on my birthday, which is August 17th. So it was kind of like, it's my birthday. I'm in a new life. I love it. But it was hot. Like, it was so hot that I felt I went outside of the temporary housing they placed me at the university. And my eyes fogged up. Not even just like glasses, like my eyeballs fogged up. That's what it felt like. Immediate sweat on the skin. I was like, okay, this is something I have to get used to. I mention it because it is really important. Like I didn't realize how impactful the weather would be. Being in New Jersey, four seasons. Being in California, kind of four seasons, but very manageable, comfortable weather. Being in New York, four seasons again. Being in, in Korea, they had four seasons I was just mentioning the weather because it's important. It it really tells you about your lifestyle. It tells you about what clothes you're going to wear, how often you're going to go out, if you're going to have an outdoor lifestyle or indoor lifestyle, the kind of things you're going to do with people. It just lets you know what's available to you. And also, in terms of your constitution, is that okay for you? Everybody's different. Not everybody likes the heat. Not everybody likes the cold. So this is this was an important thing that I did not even consider when I said yes to the job. I was just like, oh my gosh, what a cool opportunity. Let me go. Which is, if anybody can glean the way that I've been saying yes to opportunities to move forward or go overseas or try different things. It's like, oh my gosh, how cool. And so you learn through that, right? And it wasn't bad for me. I just had to adjust. So the first year was, of course, a lot of acclimating. But because I was 25 and youthful and everything, a lot of people took me to be a student, maybe like a upperclassman, junior or senior, rather than being someone who worked at the university, which helped me to connect with these first year students. Some of them were older because these are students who are coming from everywhere around the world. They weren't just local Emirati students. They were just people from everywhere. So everyone has a different story as to 
when they enter university and start that journey. And I connected with people in a really meaningful way during that time, during that first year. And the university was, I think, seven or eight years old, only very young university at the time. So the community was very tight knit. It just felt like you can grow here. You're part of the community. There was like a black community there, which was nice because to get plugged into a black community was meaningful and beneficial. I learned so much and was able to connect with people in different ways. I wasn't so deep in it. It wasn't like a BSU or anything like that, but just to know that there were other black women who were working at the university who I could rely on for something or to even just to see in the halls and be like, hey, sis, you know what I mean? It's helpful because the program that I was working in, it was just, it was really white. It wasn't like super, super white, but it was the supervisors and everybody, they were white. And even though we're living in this place, this let's call it a strange place with this strange, it's just a lot of strangeness being in the UAE and people are coming from the US. It's a, a liberal university based in the US. What ties you together is this oddness of being here and everyone has this eclectic nature. But the good thing is a lot of my colleagues who are on my same level, let's say, as a writing instructor, and I do mention level because it really did feel like very hierarchical, which I had to dip out of that hierarchical nature. But a lot of the colleagues on my same level as a writing instructor were from different places, from the UK, from Pakistan, from India, from all different places. So from Singapore, And that was nice because I felt into, once again, what is it like to be among a cohort or a group of people who are global-minded and also from different places in the world who I can learn from and learn from their cultures and just be friends with people from that human-to-human heart space rather than it being about anything external. That was lovely. I have a background, yes, in fashion business, but underlying that background has always been this love of teaching writing, which I've been doing basically since I started university. I started in 2011, but I started teaching writing in 2012 at the university at FIT. And then I just continued that. Ever since I graduated, I was like teaching, taking these tutoring jobs or teaching or volunteering with people. And then moving to Korea, working with people and language in a different way just helped to bring more nuance into the way that I was teaching writing. But It was still, I didn't have a master's, right? I didn't have some of the experience that my colleagues had in terms of their work in universities, more academic work, publishing, anything, any of that stuff. So I had a lot of imposter syndrome for a long time. Like, I think I was just getting rid of my imposter syndrome by the time I was leaving in 2021. But here I was in 2018, 25, working at this big old university with all this money, all of this opportunity, all of this stuff. And I had to be there. I had to do it. But the imposter syndrome was with me for a while, just feeling like, do I deserve this? Am I meant to be here? When I look back and look at all the things that I did, that I started, that I laid the groundwork for the program in the university, or you know, at some point I traveled to Beirut to another writing center's conference that they were holding and delivered a workshop around what was my interest, which was like this personal voice versus academic voice. And I did a whole workshop at a conference. What? And I'm like, oh, I don't belong here. Like in my subconscious, right? So these things play out, but it was just, it wasn't about what you have on your CV that matters. That's not what fully mattered for me. That's not why they selected me for the job. Because of all those years of experience I had teaching writing, that's what they needed. I think it kind of speaks to the journey can look however it needs to look. You have your destiny. You have the things that are going to be meant for you. 
and just lean into that. If I'm a writing teacher, then I'm going to teach writing no matter if I have the on paper credentials to make it look good. Because if they don't care, then I don't care. So that was something that I had to sort of learn throughout the process. But in the first year, I was still feeling into what does it even mean to be teaching at a university? And it was interesting because I learned that just moving around Abu Dhabi, social circles or whatever, people know NYU Abu Dhabi. It's a very well-known university in Abu Dhabi, in Dubai, and or just in the UAE in general. It's among the universities there, right? So whenever I mentioned I worked there, I would just immediately get this respect from people. Speaking of respect again, which is interesting, I didn't notice that until now, but immediately get this respect from people who were just like, oh, you work at the university. And also, do you know this person? Do you know this person? Do you know all this stuff, which was very interesting. I did not expect any of that or... I didn't even know what to do with it. I don't think there's anything to do. You just have to continue living your life and continue going to work and coming home and living your life. So yeah, that was the first year getting used to the new dynamic. The language thing in Abu Dhabi didn't really phase me as much because it's very English-based. Yes, Arabic is the language spoken there. So I picked up a couple of words that I enjoy. I haven't used them in a while, ever since like living in Mexico for a, a while in the recent past, but I picked up a couple of words there. I was taking an Arabic course for a little while and then I stopped. I was just like, let me be in life and let's see what happens. That's where, that's kind of where I go with a lot of these things. But the social life in Abu Dhabi was quite interesting. There are a lot of Africans in that area, a lot of Nigerians, which was nice because there was a lot of Nigerians in New York too, but Nigerian American and Nigerian from Nigeria. <laughs> It's a different story, especially when dating at the time. Yeah, I just was like rolling my eyes a lot. Or, but still, there was this there is this crossroads between rolling my eyes at some of the people that were coming up in my orbit, but also be like, that's my brother. That's my friend. That's my cousin. Oh. <laughs> so it was weird. It was, let me just say it was weird. I did have a couple of relationships that were really meaningful to me. But yeah, so the third year... The last year was during the pandemic, so a lot was changing anyway. It's no surprise that I was changing, my ideas were changing, and my focus was shifting. In that final year, everything went online in the university, unsurprisingly. And I kind of realized that a lot of what I loved about teaching in the university was being in person and being in the classroom and seeing people making eye contact, touching their papers, working with them. You know what I mean? And that wasn't happening. It was everything online, which of course you make do with. It wasn't like a, oh, we're not going to be in person. I'm out. Absolutely not. Like you work with what you have and this is a situation. So here we go. But I did recognize that as something that kind of took me away emotionally from the university. And also being there for the third year in the same program, sometimes working with the same kind of curriculum or material. I was like, this is not evolving. That's what I felt. I can't put any real blame on the university. The institutional life is the institutional life. And sometimes with this big kind of institutions, evolution takes a long time. When it comes from me, evolution does not take a long time. It's a pretty quick thing, at least the kind of evolution that you can readily see. And I think that's available and possible when you're working with expression. That's what I know. But I wasn't feeling that. I was feeling like the evolution that should be happening through the years with these students, it should be 
it should be getting better. It should be becoming more expensive. People should be becoming more confident. But what I was finding was like the students that I was working with in that third year, first years as well, compared to the students in that first year that I was working, were, were coming with more anxiety and dissociation with what they were actually writing and producing. The curriculum was the same. And I just felt like the curriculum should hopefully engage people to deepen or to become more confident in the way that they're learning. But why are the students coming to me with these kind of things? A lot of things were layering on top of me eventually leaving. This was just some of the things that I was feeling, which kind of were tugging at my heart because my whole thing is about authentic expression and evolution through expression and creative embodiment. So I was feeling certain problems and then later I would come to create solutions that I felt were necessary, but I was starting to feel the problems there. And then with all of that, there was a lot of internal time. So social life wasn't really a thing. (laughs) But with all of that happening, how I was feeling about the university and Black Lives Matter movement rising once again in that time. And just all of these strange things that I just, I didn't feel comfortable with. Let's just put it like that. I was also going through a spiritual awakening. Very powerful and deep and transformative. But the first that I could really articulate has probably happened in small ways here and there. We evolve through life and we go through things that cause us to change. Like I mentioned my experience, like traveling from Germany to Italy and how it was traumatic, but also transformative in its way. This in Abu Dhabi, in that 2020, 2021 year was just, I completely just felt like I don't even belong in this place. (laughs) Who am I? I don't even know who I am. Like a lot was changing and I was deepening and learning more about myself in so many different capacities. And yeah, was very upending and destabilizing and scary, to be honest with you. But in that time, I was like, it's time for me to go. I feel like I need to leave. It's It really wasn't as much as I don't feel like I need to be here anymore. It was more so I need to leave. It's time for me to go. And yes, I've been a person who's been on the go or had my eye looking out in every situation. Like, what would it be like to do something else outside of this current situation, which can have its drawbacks, which I've learned in my life. But also being able to sense when you need to leave is a true gift because some of us stay in situations for far too long. It's too detrimental. And then picking ourselves up from a situation that has been detrimental because we didn't leave when we should have ends up really just taking a toll on us or can really be super destabilizing. So either way, you know, there's this fine balance that we're living in life. But in either case, I was feeling the need to leave Abu Dhabi and being in the pandemic really helped that and also exacerbated the feelings that that I was having that made me feel like, hey, it's time to go. So it was like summer 2020 And I was starting to get into my own creative expression even more because all of this time I have been teaching about expression, teaching writing, but never really engaging in my own. But when I moved to Abu Dhabi, I started playing guitar and I started writing music. And I was always continuing my journaling practice, but it was never anything for people to really see. But in summer 2020 is when I started Wellspring Words, which is my business and the community platform that I hold. But it was really just a place for women of color to share their writing. 
And I started sharing my writing on there too. So it put me in a space of more creative exploration for myself. And I think that everything was working in this fade in, fade out manner. But if I just look back on the timeline, starting Wellspring Words, deepening into my own creative expression, realizing, okay, maybe this isn't the place for me to be who I want to be, like feeling that deeper soul call for more, it all put me in a position to be like, in April 2021, I'm out. So yeah. I left in April 2021 and I moved to Mexico. I asked Nkem to describe her time in Mexico. So I chose Mexico because logistically I needed to go to a place that was not in the U.S. and the borders were open. They were welcoming at, the, at that time during this high peak COVID era. Uh, they were welcoming to foreigners or people coming in. So that's why I chose Mexico. I went to Puerto Escondido first, which is on the coast of Oaxaca and just definitely has a beautiful space in my heart because it held me as I was transitioning from such a different life, a completely different life. And yeah, I flowed a lot during that time. It was the summertime and I spent six weeks there. It feels like so much longer, but it was really only six weeks, but it was six very powerful weeks because of the people who I met while I was there and how I just like, I sunk into my creative expression during that time. I set an intention of uh, really honoring my art and my writing and seeing what my voice sounded like after so many years of supporting people and cultivating their own writing voice, academic wise or otherwise. It was like, oh, it's time for me. I need to see what I actually sound like, what I actually am drawn to when I'm writing. Unsurprisingly, at that time, I was writing a lot about flowing and the water and the way that the flow because I was like at the beach every single day, at the ocean, all of that stuff. So I was really inspired by that. And then after those six weeks, I moved to Mexico City, which would end up being a base. And it's a good base because you can travel to many places from Mexico City. There's a lot to do in Mexico City. You can meet a lot of people in Mexico City. You can create a lot and feel grounded in that creation in Mexico City. And stayed there for a couple of months because one of the good friends who I met in Puerto Escondido, he is from Mexico City and he had an apartment there, but he was going to be traveling to Russia like for that time. So I just stayed in his apartment. We worked out an arrangement and I stayed there. So it became my home for that period of time. And then after those couple of months, I was like, I want to go to Portugal. So I went to Portugal in the new year of 2022. And then when I was in Portugal, I ended up feeling like I wanted to go back to Mexico. So I came back to Mexico last year, the end of April. 2022. And I stayed there in Mexico for another year. So putting all the time together, it's probably like a year and a half or so that I lived in Mexico. But yeah, the coming back, it was like that heart pull of feeling like, oh, Mexico's so open, so friendly. It's just so easy to travel around Mexico. And I lived in Puerto Escondido and Mexico City, but I traveled to many different places on solo trips or things of that nature while I was there because of the accessibility. And I went to Nayarit area, which is not Puerto Vallarta, but you fly into Puerto Vallarta. And I lived in Bucerias and Punta de Mita and Sayulita for a few months. And then I went back to Mexico City for a few months. I went to Costa Rica and then I came back to Mexico City for a few. So it's been an on and off thing with Mexico. But yeah, I stayed there for a little while. My experience there was... Very creative, I can say. 
that's what I loved about living in Mexico is just being able to connect with people who were creating from the heart. There were a lot of people just like me who were like, I got this insight to create this thing. I'm creating it. This is what I've created. And they're like, cool, dope, me too. Let's collaborate. Let's talk about it. So there was a lot of that energy. But at some point, I felt the need to just focus my energy on my own stuff, my own business, my own community. And then I entered into a relationship for a few months, which I'm no longer in, but it was a really serious relationship at the end of last year up until recently. And that was a completely different life because being in relationship with, he's Mexican, and living a very, very Mexican life. It wasn't like like I mentioned, Nigerian-American versus Nigerian from Nigeria. The culture is different. The way you hold yourself is different. Your beliefs are different. Your What you do on a daily, how close to your family you are, how connected to the land you are is different. So me, I am this can just pick up and go kind of person. And he was very rooted and grounded. Family was a big part of it. So that was a different dynamic for me to be present with. And it taught me so much about myself, especially about this need to ground, about nurturing, about staying when things don't just look or feel exactly comfortable and not just following that wandering eye that's always looking to the sky or to like uh, the airplane. I wish I could be there <laughs> in the plane because that had been like me for so long, always, oh, wow, wow, what could be, what's possible? And through that relationship, especially being in Mexico, is, okay, well, maybe that's not possible. And not because it's never going to be possible or not because it's not good or not because you don't have access to it anymore, but because there's something more meaningful to be present with here in this very moment, in this present moment, and not in the future, not in your dreams, but here in this moment. Repatriation is such an interesting experience. And I've probably said this in every episode that features a repatriation story, that there probably should be an entire podcast, not just an episode on this podcast, all about repatriation because it is such a complex and such a unique and albeit strange experience. So I asked Enkem, what has been her experience repatriating to the United States? It's everything. You just named all of them. And I'm sure there's a handful more that we could throw in there. But it's truly a mix of everything, which if I'm coming from this approach of being present with discomfort or being present, just like being present with certain things as opposed to dissociating or running away, which I can, I'm a queen of dissociation and running away. I'm a Pisces rising, if anybody's interested in astrology. So that is a home in a certain way. Coming back here, repatriating, which I didn't even think about the term of that, it's been a mix of emotions and a mix of things. And it has shown me more than anything that I have choice and I've always had choice. There has been this feeling in my life of travel so far that it's like I'm being guided and led, which I absolutely know that I am. But I don't think I leaned so much into the choice part of it. But having all of those experiences, both externally, relationally, and also and especially internally and spiritually with myself throughout that whole time has shown me that I've been through a lot. I've experienced a lot. And I have a choice as to how I can feel about being back here in Irvine. I don't have to feel 
because this is this has been a feeling in the past. Remember, I came back to Irvine before I went to Korea. And during that time, I was just full of escapism. Like, I was not trying to be here. <laughs> I was here for five months. I was like, uh, we're not doing this. I felt kind of a failure, like a failure at that time. But knowing how I felt at that time and how unhealthy it was for me, like, we can go and blame it. I can blame my parents. I can blame anybody. And it, nothing would matter. There's not even anyone to blame, not even myself. It's just the way of the world, the way of things. Life shifts and changes and moves. And you always choose to do the best thing for yourself. So me leaving Mexico, me leaving that relationship was the best thing that I needed to do for myself eventually through everything I learned. So being back here now and choosing to feel like this is a beautiful beginning rather than a painful, sorrowful ending is giving me a lot of internal power and helping me to like shift my perspective about what life can look like for me in the future. And I see myself living overseas. It just feels part of my nature. But at the same time, I know the power of being in the present and just like honoring what I'm experiencing now and all of those feelings that I have felt living overseas. You know, this kind of feeling like I am the luckiest person in this world because of this life that I live. What about living that here in my hometown with the squirrels in the backyard or like with the neighbors or with my high school or my middle school just down the lane? What about feeling that feeling here and now? Because I haven't done that before. So just being here, repatriating and feeling all of those things that you mentioned, it just brings me to I have a choice to do it differently or to feel differently in order to have something completely new and expansive and different in my future. That's how I take it. I asked Nkem what has been her experience being a Black woman abroad. It starts with my experience as a Black woman here in Irvine. And I felt in, just invisible. I felt like I had to do and be whatever, anything else besides myself in order to be seen and to be visible. Because I don't know why, because of the society, because of this neighborhood, because of whoever else is more popular or whatever the thing is. And I think that I carried that with me. I'm also a Leo and I have a Leo stellium. So for anybody, again, who's interested in astrology, it might be supportive for them because that's a big aspect of my identity and my life. Just that ability to be seen, not just needing to be seen, but can I be seen for who I truly am and not just what I represent? And I think that distinction is crucial because when I moved overseas, I had this feeling of, I don't want to be invisible or I can't be invisible. It was subconscious, but I see it now. I can't be invisible, so I must be seen. I wasn't really doing anything, moving and traveling overseas in order to be seen, but I was receiving a lot of attention. I was highly visible, sometimes too visible to the point as a Black woman where I would be solicited for prostitution, followed, right? It was, sometimes it was quite scary, potentially dangerous situations just being highly visible. I don't know what that was about. It wasn't like I was the only Black woman around, but just this feeling of being highly visible. And there was also this feeling of, okay, now that I am visible, finally, especially earlier on in my travel history, finally, I'm seen, right? So like I'm chosen. But there's a difference between being chosen and choosing. And now in my experience, I recognize the high value of me being the one to choose 
my visibility, right? How visible I am, who I'm visible to, and what people do with that visibility. If someone loves me because I'm Black, which has been a big theme, being a Black woman, being Black, having access to coolness and Blackness and culture and things that maybe f- the people would feel like they didn't have in their lives or they didn't have access to in their lives, or they just feel it's cooler <laughs> when someone else represents it. I don't have to be persuaded by someone else's or other people's projection of who I should be for them because of who they think a Black person or a Black woman should be. And I'm phrasing it in that way because that's what I've experienced, like in this conceptual level of, do you really see me as a human being? Because I see you as a human Or do you just see me as a Black woman? Or do you just like that I love to dance and I love to shake my ass? I'm not doing it for you. Trust me. Trust and believe. I'm doing it for me. But you're coming closer when I do it. I find that. But if I cry, if I I express discomfort, if I don't make you happy, you're nowhere to be found. Certain things that I've, I've found throughout my journey, those things existed. But I think on the other side of all of that, discomfort, the shame, trauma, the things that I have to be present with in order for my own healing and my own, yeah, repurposing, my own alchemy. On the other side of all of that is this feeling of being free. There's just a liberation that I have felt specifically as a Black woman. And I think maybe it's because of the tropes that I've seen or grown up with, which we all have seen or grown up with in a way of Black women being at the bottom or if, especially in the U.S., this place, man, ugh. Like, and they always say it too, like when they're talking about positionality or this race politics and stuff, if you're a white man, then you're here. If you're a bl- imagine if you're a Black, gay, trans woman, disabled, why you gotta, why, why? I just, I don't like it. I don't agree with that. I don't feel myself in that. I don't see myself in that. So being able to be a representation of life, let's just life as it is without adding any other identifiers on top of it, being able to be a representation of life moving through the world and being happy and being joyful and being someone who can learn through my experiences and grow from that has been beautiful. And then on top of that, I'm a Black woman and I feel my beauty through all of that. So it's been very... I want to say reclamatory. (laughs) It's like a reclamation. Let's just make up words. It's a reclamation of my own identity, my own beauty, my own presence, my own gifts, because I show up differently than other people show up. And it's not a me versus them. Everybody shows up differently than any other person shows up. But to recognize where that comes from, the people that I come from, the household that I come from, my own personal lived experiences, how I physically look and the impact that has. Because I'm also 6'1". I'm a big person. I'm a tall, lanky, big, graceful person. So there's a lot to behold when you look at me, especially for the first time, which I guess going back to the conversation or to the thing I mentioned about people being scared of me if they've never seen, it's not just because I'm Black. It's because I'm a tall, big being as well, which I get. But I've also shifted from the mentality of, okay, people fear me or are scared of me to maybe people are in awe of me. Not just how I physically look, but when I present my story or if I share or if I articulate, then I can own that this is me. You're getting the full version of me as I am, who I am as an individual. And yes, I happen to be a Black woman on top of that, but please know that this is also what it can be to be a beautiful being in the world. And I'm a Black woman. I think I always phrase it like that, like, 
me as a being first and then being a Black woman because that's how I've just moved through life. I've always recognized my Blackness after the fact or with people's reactions rather than it being something that I led with in my own life or interactions. So that's why I'm phrasing it in that way. And I hope that it also goes to serve what you mentioned about Blackness as non-monolithic. We are all different people. And I just want us to re-empower ourselves when it comes to the way that we see ourselves overseas. Because there have been people who have asked me this question, obviously, throughout these years of travel, like, what is it like to be Black in this area? Or when I would do my own searching, right? Being Black in this area, is it safe? Is it dangerous? Are you going to be, you know, all those things. You never type being white in a certain area and see those kind of things, right? It's just not a thing. But to type into a search engine, what is it like to live abroad in this particular country or this town as a Black person, it's a thing. And I want us to be able to re-empower ourselves. So yes, we can take that into account because safety is a real thing. And being Black out here in this world, in these streets is, unfortunately, it is not always the most comfortable experience as I have experienced myself. But to hold within our hearts that we are safe, we are powerful, we are beautiful, we are the whole full package. I think that helps in the journey. I really do. Wellness. I asked Nkem, what is her personal definition of wellness and how has it evolved throughout her time abroad and now back at home? I love this question. So I love talking about wellness and self. Living abroad, I know I mentioned the aspect of choice a little bit earlier and that was relating to the choice and how people see me and and that whole thing. But I think there's this aspect of choice when living abroad that you get to kind of reclaim your ability to make a choice about how your life is going to look. First, when you choose to live overseas, now the responsibility is on you. Whether or not you're working with a company or organization that's going to help you with the logistics of moving abroad, you still are making every single choice for yourself and the consequences of those choices are yours, which I find to be really helpful in my wellness journey on a very stabilizing, grounding level because if something goes right, that's all me right? I did that. I made that choice for myself and I feel really good about holding myself. If something doesn't go right, that's on me, which means that I have to pick up the pieces and make another choice to make it right. And I can't play victim to anybody making decisions for me, to any system making decisions for me. It's all on me. And that helps just to empower me. Like the empowerment is a big part of my wellness practice and my wellness journey. It's not just about feeling calm and feeling good and feeling healthy and all these things. Empowerment is a really big part of feeling heart open and being present in the world in who we are. But on top of that, there is also the feeling calm and feeling good and feeling healthy, which I have totally, like we all do in life, had these roller coaster moments of being at really high highs and very low lows and not feeling like I had anybody to turn to or talk to and recognizing that I actually need to reach out to people and community is really important no matter where I am. So I think in my journey of living abroad and having moved through so many different places and cultures and different types of people, I've come to recognize how creating community from a certain place, from like the heart space, rather than just from a common interest, we like to do the same thing, space is the most stabilizing and grounding for me in my journey as a human being, which is obviously like the wellness part of it, because if I'm not well, then I'm not really living fully, which is 
always the aim, the goal. I asked Enkem to share with all of us a motto, an affirmation, a mantra, a scripture, a lyric that she lives by, or at the very least anchors her in this current chapter of her life. One of the mantras or the mottos that I love that I heard from somebody else was keep it positive and let yourself be changed. It just stuck with me. One of those. I don't say it to myself ever, really, until somebody asks me and then it comes up immediately. So I guess it's working in the background. But keep it positive and let yourself be changed. It's not always easy to keep it positive, but I think grand scheme of things, if we could look to the light and understand that through all of the winding road, ups and downs, twists and turns, to look to the light and feel what possibility is there for beauty in this situation, in this life, and then allow, like not put any rigid restraints on what things need to look like, but allow for things to be beautiful, then we can let ourselves be changed. And it could be gorgeous from there, whatever gorgeous means, because it's not always roses. Let's be real. Thank you so much, Enkem. You are absolutely wonderful and your story is amazing. If you are interested in keeping up with Enkem, you can via social media. And as for where to keep up with me or find me on social media, I'm on Instagram personally as naturallyfree123. And as at Wellspring Words or Wellspring Words. And yeah, from there, everything is available. So thank you so much for having me on this podcast. It was such a pleasure to dive into these topics with you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. If you'd like to learn more about this guest, please check out their show notes page at flourishintheforeign.com slash episodes. Be sure to grab the Move Abroad with Intention guide to not only aid in your leap abroad and making sure that it is successful, but also if you're already abroad, to keep you engaged and to keep you accountable as you cultivate this new life abroad. I've also curated a playlist of sorts that goes with the guide I made a whole list of episodes of this podcast that I think will be really helpful as you complete the guide. You can find that list in the description of this episode. And I'd also suggest that you grab the Build a Business Abroad guide if building your own business abroad or taking it abroad is something that interests you. It's not for everybody, but for those of you that are interested in it, I highly suggest you grab that guide. And I've created a playlist for the Build a Business Abroad guide as well, which is just season three of this podcast. Season three of this podcast was a mini season all about building a business abroad. Be sure to check out the Flourish in the Foreign blog and the Flourish in the Foreign bookshop powered by bookshop.org, where you can support local bookstores and Flourish in the Foreign at the same time. Check out my list of books to help you move, live, and thrive abroad. Make sure that you are subscribed to the Flourish in the Foreign YouTube channel for when I drop new videos and follow the podcast on Instagram and TikTok at Flourish Foreign. You can also follow the podcast on LinkedIn at Flourish in the Foreign. And of course, subscribe to the podcast via whichever platform you listen on and leave a review. As always, big thanks to Zachary Higgs for producing the music of this here podcast. Remember, it's not about moving abroad. It's not about 
being abroad. It's about flourishing abroad. So go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. See you next time. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. Oh, there's a term here they call Mazungu. It means white person. But they call me Mazungu too, you know? Because essentially they're saying, you are a foreign person. You do not belong here. Period. We're black, yes, and that's great. Good for you. But we don't belong together. You are American. You belong. To, and I want them to, I want to be like, can you tell the Americans that I'm American and I'm supposed to be there? Like, could you please? Because they keep telling me to come here, but you're telling me to go back anyway. Like, so you never, if you're looking for that sense of, that familial sense or that sense of belonging, I think you're going to be lost because I don't know if you can ever find that in a place outside of yourself. You know, this is our earth. This is our world. We're supposed to be here. Whatever our purpose is, we'll find it right here in this place.